Welcome to the highest road, a path that leads from within our own being, where each one of us has a direct and living connection to Source or God. The highest road, the courage to claim our power and to take responsibility for our choices. We live in an interconnected universe. Every loving thought we think, every step we take in the direction of self-empowerment and spiritual integrity, not only moves us forward, but improves the world at large for everyone. The world is as we are. Hello, everyone. You're very welcome to the Highest Road podcast. And this is Rose from Ireland, and I'm here with my friend Mac. And today we felt that it might be very worthwhile exploring the area of non-attachment. It's come up in a few of our discussions already, so we did feel it was worth dedicating a session to it. I'd like to start out just by talking about what non-attachment is. And a lot of people have heard of it and they've related to Buddhism. It is a fundamental tenet of Buddhism, leads to enlightenment. It's found in other religions. It's found in Judaism. It's found in Taoism. Christianity, the Gospel of John that has the quote when Christ said, be in the world, but not of it. And non-attachment is not just a spiritual principle. It's actually a way of life. And it's a way of looking at life in general in a way of certainly finding some peace. Well, just following on from what you said there, Mac, that it's a fundamental tenet in Buddhism. And I believe that the Buddha said that attachment is the cause of suffering which is um, very pertinent to what we're talking about. And for me, when I think of non-attachment and then attachment, for me, I, I just a very simple image that comes to me that I've used before in these podcasts is the image of a tree. And if a tree is well-grounded and well-rooted in the earth, then it has its own connection to the earth, to its own source. And then it can relate to other trees around it in a connected way, but not an attached way. So I think that non-attachment, it isn't a dissociation or a sense of detachment. It's actually finding our source of connection from a much more deep level, a much deeper level, a much more connected level from the basis of who we truly are. And another way I've looked, I've sometimes felt about it is it's maybe the difference between, and this is gradual. I don't, you know, nobody's going to learn this just from listening to one podcast or reading one book or reading a few nice quotes. It's an ongoing mindfulness of where we do get attached, where we get triggered by our attachments, being willing to look at that and take responsibility, but not blame ourselves and come back to a point of peace. For me, sometimes it's helpful to think of it mean going from attachment to non-attachment can be, in a sense, going from maybe a, a focus on who I am to a deeper focus of what I am. Because if I'm focusing on who I am, it means I'm taking myself very personally. I'm taking my life very personally. My personality self is who I am. I identify with my name or my characteristics. Whereas I think a lot of the spiritual journey is coming to an understanding that it's more what we are that is significant. And what we are is maybe what some of the Eastern religions talk about the self with the capital S. So it's more like the essence of what we are. And as we 
gradually tune into that part of ourselves and connect at that level like the tree rooted in the ground, then we're much less likely to get caught up in entanglements and attachments. But we can still retain a deep level of connection and actually a deep level of intimacy that we can't have if we're very attached. I'm thinking of an example of when I consciously practiced non-attachment. And it was several years back and I was looking for a job and I had to send out several resumes. And with each click of the mouse when I sent out the resume, I made a conscious statement that I released the application with no attachment. And Mm -hmm. I just let it go. I did my due diligence by sending out the resumes. I don't think the universe mm-hmm. you know, supports laziness or entitlement or apathy. And it was interesting because one of the resumes resulted in just finding a great job. It's not the job that I envisioned because somebody who got one of the resumes, although they didn't have an opening, knew somebody who did, and they called that person, that person contacted me. And within just a few days, I was hired for a job that I just absolutely love. Mm-hmm. I think with the, with the letting go and let the universe flow, non-attachment just lets life happen. You don't mm-hmm. get in its own way. I think there's a divine right order and a divine right timing. Mm-hmm. When you practice non-attachment, it just flows. Yeah, I love that story. And it's, it's like having a very solid kind of humility in a good sense that, you know, we know it's actually being able to acknowledge that we don't know the full picture. We don't know all of the permutations of any situation. And therefore, if we just, as you say, put the intention out, you do your due diligence, you send your letters or whatever the situation is. And then there's an inherent trust that there might be something much bigger playing out. And if I do my part, then the universe or source or whatever we want to call it, will take it from there. So it's almost a humility that comes from a deep level of self-love, actually. I think that develops as we go along, um, that we don't kind of get in our own way. And Because as you say, you, that job that you got in the end wasn't in your conscious awareness, but it came to you because you had allowed the conditions to be there. I think you nailed the two words that are very important in the whole process is humility Mm -hmm. and understanding that our ego does not know everything, even even though it thinks it might. Mm -hmm. And trust, you know, there's a basic trust in the universe there that I think that develops over time. You know, the older I get, the more trust I have in that process. Yeah. And as you say, it's something that does develop over time. And That's why I feel, as we've said before, that a practice of mindfulness, a practice of, especially any time we notice ourselves getting triggered or a charge around a situation, if we can develop a discipline of sort of stepping back a bit and taking some quiet time or going for a walk or maybe doing some art, doing something that allows us to intuitively get a sense of what that situation is teaching us. A corollary of that is I feel throughout my own life, I've more and more been able to accept the fact that in a sense, my life here is like being in a school. It's like being in a university. Um, I'm doing a course in self-mastery. And if I can approach every day as um, like a classroom 
and that everything that happens in that day is a lesson of some sort. And often it's the lessons that seem to be the hardest. It's the times, funnily enough for me anyway, the times when I least want to admit that, that there's the richest lesson. If I can just have the humility and the courage to step back and allow it. I don't even have to understand the full meaning of a situation. Just be willing to acknowledge maybe there's something else going on here. And if I step back and allow my higher self or my soul or my source connection to communicate with me, I will get the answers. And they may not be in English. They may not be very obvious on one level, but they will come to me. It may be in a in a waking dream, you might see a notice on a, on a bus that passes you or whatever, but just to be open to the fact that, in a sense, we are in a school. Basically, everything that happens is ultimately for our good, if we can have that aspect. There's one of the lessons in A Course in Miracles is all things are lessons God would have me learn. And if you don't like the word God, you can think of source or the universe, but it, everything has the potential to be a lesson to us, even the most difficult things. And often the most difficult things can give us really, really powerful lessons. It's hard to step back when you're mm -hmm. emotionally charged. It mm -hmm. takes a lot of discipline to do that. But when you do, with practice, you'll be able to see that there is a lot more going on than mm -hmm. just what you're seeing. It gives you a distance. It gives you perspective. You can see the flow of the universe and like, what is this happening? Why is this happening? And just ask, just ask mm -hmm. for assistance. I think the universe does give you answers. As you said, they might not come exactly the way you think. Mm -hmm. But again, that's an expectation. <laughs> Let go of it because the universe has, has many miracles in it. And mm -hmm. just practicing non-attachment opens yourself to those miracles. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think in the, especially in the early stages or we can talk about the early stages or the later stages, but listen, tomorrow I could get triggered by something and, you know, need to listen to this podcast myself. <laughs> so it's not like that any of us have arrived, but I think some very simple tools can help us, um, even if we're not even ready to admit there might be something else going on, even very, very simple, very simple mindfulness breathing practices and I think it'd be very helpful actually for us to put a list of these maybe in an article format. So I think I, I'll put an article together with that, but just simple things like taking a certain number of breaths or just some very small things that we can do just to come back into a kind of equilibrium. And even if we don't seem to get the, the press release from the universe straight away, which we probably won't, at least we've come into a calmer space because when we're in an agitated state, we're very unlikely, even if we got it on the headlines of our, our local newspaper, we wouldn't even get it because we're too agitated. But when we get into a calmer state, we're more likely to be able to read the cues. A great place to practice non-attachment. Well, I can give an example from this morning. I have a cousin who has religious and political beliefs that are that are very different from mine. I'm not <laughs> going to judge him. I'm just going to say they're very different. And I, I do read his Facebook posts. And sometimes I say, does this person have the same DNA as I do? <laughs> and, and so Facebook is a great place mm -hmm. to practice non-attachment. Okay, we're going to let this go. We're going to let it be. No judgments, not my place to judge. Move on. Don't mm -hmm. respond. <laughs> Take a breath.
<laughs> oh, I think that that's so, so relevant these days. And I've noticed myself, again, Facebook or Facebook is, as you say, a great platform. You know, I find myself sometimes being so angry or judgmental of pe people with a particular political viewpoint and how can they be so bigoted or how can they be so self-righteous or so set in their views. And then I begin to step back a bit and I realize that I am actually bigoted against them. It's so easy to become bigoted against who you think are the bigots. And I exactly. caught myself at this. I caught myself at this yesterday and one of my daughters is a Buddhist and I was kind of giving out a little bit about a particular situation and I could see her calmness. <laughs> and I realized, okay, um, you know, if I'm even feeling a little bit self-righteous about how self-righteous they are, then I have something to look at. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so. It's like hating the haters. So I think we're always learning. And I think the time when you get the most the strongest kind of, um, you know, kick or, or tap on the shoulder from the universe is when you think you're there. <laughs> you think. <laughs> yeah, guess what? When you think you're there, you're not. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> so there is a, a, say, kind of like a humility. But I think it's a humility that grows, again, out of, again, that self-love. And if you think of the word humility... It comes from the same Latin root as the word humus, which means earth. And so true humility isn't about beating ourselves up or um, the sort of humility that we were encouraged growing up in, in the Catholic Church was to think of yourself as less worthy. But true humility is, in a sense, not really thinking about your worth at all. You're just grounded in, you're grounded in your connection to God or to source and so you're not as conscious of yourself as a separate being, I think, when you're truly humble. For me, that's, that's how it's developed more and more anyway. There's a study, and I'm going to put the uh, links to the study on the website related to this particular podcast. Mm -hmm. And it talks about how meditation, people who practice meditation regularly, are, find non-attachment much easier to accomplish than people who don't. Mm -hmm. It also goes into a how it causes less stress in life, how it's proven to reduce anxiety and mental health issues just by practicing non-attachment. I mean, I really feel that most aspects of the highest road that we're going to explore, no matter how many podcasts we do, that they, most of them will come back at some level to having some kind of meditation, mindfulness practice, or self-reflected practice, or whatever whatever form it takes. I mean, for some people, it could come in the practice of art or like art can be a very meditative practice or walking in the woods or whatever it is. But I think allowing time to have that relationship with silence or with quietness, I think it's actually essential because it does allow us to tap into those roots that we've been talking about. And I think without that, we don't have that sense of being anchored in something that's very solid. Even though it's intangible, it's very solid on another level. So I think some kind of practice, and it can start off small, cultivating it. If any of our listeners have never had a meditation practice or a mindfulness practice, even taking a minute or two several times a day might even work better than a long practice once a day because you might find that too much. But even every hour or so, taking a minute or two to take some quietness, just to start sort of 
warming up those muscles, if you like. Um, Marianne Williamson talks about strengthening our attitudinal muscles. And I think that's a really good image for really what I think we think the, the highest road is about, is eventually strengthening those attitudinal muscles, becoming stronger and more self-masterful in the most genuine way. But those short practices can start us if a long practice seems to be daunting to somebody or if they genuinely don't feel they have the time. Everybody can find a minute or two a few times a day. There's actually an app for that. There's several apps for that. Mm -hmm. That'll make your phone beep any time that you designate it for, like mm -hmm. every hour, just a beep and just, hey, this is a reminder to be present. This is a reminder to just focus mm -hmm. on what's going on. Look internally where you're at. Mm -hmm. Course corrections, if necessary. I mean, there's so many of those tools, and we can certainly give references to them alongside these podcasts because it's really what suits a different a particular person at a particular time. You know, I, I use different tools at different times, and I'm sure most people do. Another practice which I find very helpful, and it's related to a process that I work with, which is called radical forgiveness. And it's a four-step thing that you can think of and you can memorize it very quickly. And I'll put the text of it near this podcast. And it's, again, under the understanding that, you know, if something is happening in my life, it isn't just happening to me. I have some part to play. So the first step is just thinking to yourself, so especially if you get charged by something, look what I've co-created. So you're just acknowledging the fact that I've had something to do with this. And it's not blaming myself. It's not saying, you idiot, look, you've done it again. It's not that tone of voice. It might be initially till you get used to it. But it's more, look, I have a part in this. And then simply saying to yourself, I notice my judgments and feelings and love myself anyway. So I can notice that I'm angry or judgmental or frightened. And I just notice that. I'm not trying to change it, but I would just love myself. I would accept myself for that. And then. The next step is, I am willing to see the perfection in the situation. And the perfection here isn't that maybe on the human level, it may not be perfect. Somebody may have shouted at you or somebody may have cheated you. But if you accept the fact that life is a school, then at some level, there is a perfection playing out. There's a lesson, there's a learning, there's a harvest for you from this situation. So you're just saying to yourself, I'm willing to see the perfection in the situation. It doesn't mean I'll see it, but I'm willing. And then the last line is, I choose peace or I choose the power of peace. So those four steps again are, look what I have created or co-created. I notice my judgments and feelings and love myself anyway. I am willing to see the perfection in the situation. I choose peace or I choose the power of peace. And that is something you can memorize very quickly, and it's extremely helpful in situations. There's just one little story around that that I'll tell that one student I had, and she had learned this, and she was at a family wedding, and there was a niece that she didn't get on with, and she saw the niece coming towards her, and her first reaction, oh, here she comes. And then she, in her mind, she just kept saying this. And she said, actually, it sort of calmed her down and she was able to relate to the niece in a way that she hadn't before. So it was a very simple thing for her to remind herself there's something else going on here. I'm willing to see some sign of perfection here. I'm willing to be at peace. And the whole thing turned out much differently for her. It's stepping back. It's releasing mm -hmm. the expectation and the judgment and just, just being in the moment. 
and just recognizing the other person as a spark of source with every right that you have, just coming from the love space, that just changes everything. But it's not easy. <laughs> mm -mm. And I think in our culture, we have grown to associate um, attachment with love and that the more that we love somebody, we're attached to them. Or one way that attachment can express itself is by worrying about people or trying to, uh, you know, we worry about their choices. And that can actually can masquerade as love, but it actually isn't seeing the person as you said, you know, as having their own connection to source and their own life journey, they've got their own connection to their own higher self. And maybe the direction they're taking, which is bothering us, maybe there's a very, very valuable lesson for them to learn. And our worrying about them isn't going to stop them doing it anyway, but it's, it's actually an interference, even though it can masquerade as love. Boy, that is a very powerful point. It's not mm -hmm. detaching from the person. It's mm -hmm. not removing yourself from their life. It's just allowing their life to unfold mm -hmm. as it needs to for their highest good. That, that's such a crucial point you just made, mm -hmm. Rose. Mm -hmm. Most people have heard of the four agreements, which are a great, very simple, but very effective blueprint for where we're going on the highest road. And one of the agreements is not to take things personally. And for me, that's been a huge learning. It is so easy to take people's remarks or people's, uh, you know, the way they look at us or what they do or don't do, and we take it personally. And it's really beginning to understand that, for one thing, most of the time, we, you know, we can think that people did that on purpose to hurt us. Most of the time, they weren't even thinking of us at all. So we're not, you know, we're not as we're not as for as uppermost in people's minds as we might imagine. But taking things personally is an attachment, and it's making the actions of other people about us, whereas the actions of other people really have very little to do with us, if anything. So I think, you know, you know, just not not taking things as personally if somebody doesn't smile at you when you say hello to them, not assuming that it's anything to do with you, maybe bringing out some compassion. Maybe they're not feeling well, maybe they've had bad news, but it isn't about us. And we are very, very um, attached quite often to our own, um, if you like, our own ego identification. And I think that's a lot of the journey from attachment to non-attachment is the journey of lessening that, that rigid sort of a confined view that we have ourselves as this individual. I think there was some psychologist who referred to it as the skin encapsulated ego. I don't even know who it was right now, but like we, we can feel ourselves as this little tight little identity uh, with kind of barriers up. And so everything seems to be a threat. And it's like identifying with that personal separated self that gets very attached then to either the things that it likes or the things it doesn't like. And I think the path of growth is letting, letting down some of those barriers and getting more and more in touch with our connectedness, as we say, like the tree that's rooted in the ground, rather than the tree on the upper level trying to cling on to all the other trees. You know, it's, it's not taking life as person, not even taking our own lives too personally. Probably the practice that I do most 
for non-attachment is just a simple little mantra. And believe me, I use it a lot. Just let it go. Let it go. <laughs> let it go. I say it dozens of times a week, you know, just let it be. I think really as well, anything that brings us back into the present moment, whatever that is, it could be breathing, it could be you know, standing still for a moment and actually looking and seeing what is around you um, or sitting and, I mean, some mindfulness exercises have you sitting there and just listening to the sounds around you or looking around and actually seeing what's there. And all of those practices bring you into the present moment because a lot of the things we get, get attached to or that bind us are either regrets or or worries about the past, regrets, guilt, resentments. So it's often something in the past or it's worrying about the future. A friend of mine has a lovely phrase. She talks about catastrophizing, where <laughs> we develop all these scenarios in our heads. And was it Lincoln or who has it said something like, um, was it Mark Twain or Lincoln or somebody said, my life has been filled with disasters, 90% of which never happened. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not familiar it, with it, but I love it. It was one of those anyway that, you know, we, we spend so much time not in the present. If mindfulness seems maybe too daunting at times, and, you know, especially when we're very triggered, that's the last thing we want anybody to tell us is to be mindful, usually. Okay. But if for a moment we can actually sit and listen to the sounds, or there's even a, a Buddhist meditation, I think, where you eat a raisin very slowly and you allow yourself to experience it. But the whole point of that is to bring you back into your body right now in the present. And that does help hugely with this becoming less and less attached and less and less um, bound to the past and the future, which are whereas, whereas a, lot, a lot of our attachment comes from the past to the future because we're not in the present. Have an intention to notice the miracles because I think we can have a bias towards noticing the bad stuff as it were. And so allowing ourselves to notice even a simple miracle, allowing ourselves to notice that, it sort of makes it more easy for us to notice more and to, um, to generate more in our lives. So even being aware of the times when, yes, I did get that lesson or something good happened, like you said at the beginning, Mac, with the sending off your job applications and one that you couldn't have dreamt of in your conscious mind manifested. Mm -hmm. So noticing those is actually really, really valuable. Uh, miracles don't have to come as a burning bush in your living room. It's, <laughs> there's a lot of ways the universe manifests. We, I just have a little bit of a story. We were in Key West uh, on vacation a couple weeks back, and my knee was hurting, so I got out of the car, and I, was, I just had a little bit of a limp. And a woman was standing on her porch where we had parked. And she had said, are you hurting? I said, yeah, just, just my knees bother me a bit. And she said, just a second. I did not know this woman, never met her. She went back into the house, came out with this card, and she said, this is for you. It's a prayer card. And it was a prayer for healing. And I thought, mm -hmm. how beautiful. And there was a bit of synchronicity there because the author of the prayer was listed at the bottom of the card, and it was a bishop from Allentown, PA, where I grew up. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> and there, this is a, just a beautiful, sacred moment, mm -hmm. and they happen. They do. 
And it's just a beautiful thing to behold. That is a lovely story. I think that's a great place to to end. And um, you're making me more aware as well of noticing <laughs> where, <laughs> where the miracle is. Because we can all forget very easily. Those are the things mm. I call sacred moments. Mm. And they do happen when you get out of the way of life and let it flow. Mm-hmm. So thank everyone again. So glad you've been with us. Mm-hmm. And hope you found something of value. Yes. And again, thank you for listening, everybody. You've been listening to the Highest Road Podcast. You can contact us at highestroadpodcast at gmail.com. Please visit us at www.thehighestroad.com for related articles, tools, and information. We welcome questions and your feedback.